up and at him in the morning, lives here. In studio, we got Allie Rush, 15C, is here. What is up, Allie? Good to talk to you. Yay, good to be back in the studio. Just uh, just getting ready to open the new 15C location on Broad Street, right around the corner from the studio, and um, playing with some food items and menu items, and we're just we're just waiting. I'm so excited. This is my first day back from vacation, and we are here with breakfast and breakfast sparkling wine. You brought Master Sommelier Josh Orr. It's great to meet you, man. Thanks for hanging out. I'm oh, happy to be here. Thank you for having me. And we must have run into each other, but maybe you didn't know it because you said you've been a som at World of Pinot forever. Yeah, basically, World of Pinot is one of the things that helped me kept catch the wine bug when I was at Cal Poly Slow and my right? wines. Yeah. So tell me really quick before uh, we talk about this wine and, and uh, say hi to Rory again, the um, your your path to becoming an MS. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, obviously, it started here. My joke is I'm from the last place you think for an MS, which is Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, was not raised in a wine family, but came out to Slow and Cal Poly and caught the wine bug. Uh, thanks to Vines to Wines and their free barbecue. My wife, at that point, was my girlfriend, heard about it. and was like, hey, let's go check this out. And now I have a career. Um, and so started there, uh, moved to France for a year, lived in Burgundy, lived in Vegas for a couple of years, working as a sommelier on the floor. That started the whole thing. And then I've been in San Diego ever since. Um, pursuing the MS took about a decade, so it was no small feat. Um, I've been an MS since about 2019. And Is it expensive to do? It's probably, oh yeah, you know? I have I have student loans. Do you get, so you get student loans? Or do you get no? I don't get or? student loans. I get credit card debt. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> that was that was my joke with the student loan piece. Is um, yeah, the exam's expensive. It's only offered once you get to the MS level once a year. Man. You have to invest in wines um, and old wines as well as expensive stuff. And so it's really hard when you like pull a trigger on a bottle of Grand Cru Chablis or whatever, and you're like, man, I really would like to drink that, but i got to use it for blind tasting. Right. So the biggest trick was figuring out ways to make it stretch and be able to actually have blind tasting with that and be it effective to where you're not spending 100 bucks on Bordeaux um, every week because I don't have that kind of cash. No, You know, sure. i got two boys. They eat all my money anyways. Yeah. What a trip. And then when you... Now, what point in the journey do you go... Okay, I want to go all the way, and I'm, we're just going to do it, and no matter what it takes, like even if I don't pass the first time, we are going, we're doing this. I, I think everybody goes through it is different. Some people are like, let me dive into this and see what I think, and, and maybe I'll continue pursuing it. But I was uh, when I was at Cal Poly, I was about halfway through my degree, which was kinesiology. I was going to be a physical therapist. Yeah. And I was really sh like looking for a career at that point. I was not enamored with uh, kines and, and wanted to go elsewhere, and so I was looking at... Um, uh, going into med school, I was looking in pharmacy stuff, and my dad knew I was interested in wine and read an article about Master Sommiers in Vegas and said, hey, you should take a look at this. And, and I, I caught the bug, really uh, enjoyed the idea of it, enjoyed the food piece, the culture piece, um, and ran with it. So my thoughts from the get-go were, let's go MS or bust. It was not, let's oh, take one exam, okay, cool. let's take two. So I, no, I was yeah. constantly prepping throughout to get to the MS level. Um, whereas some people take different paths and maybe will come back and forth, like take a break for a couple of years and mm -hmm. whatnot. Because it's, it's a little maniacal in terms of what you have to do to actually get to the exam one and then to pass it. I mean, the pass rate's like less than 5%. Yeah. For the first one? No, for the MS exam. For the MS, I mean, I can't yeah. imagine. And then you got, if, you know, 
like I've interviewed some, like Delin or wherever, where it's Delin's just like, awesome. Yeah, where they're just no, we're gonna go back, we're gonna go back, you know. Yeah. And at some point, you go like, I don't know, I'm mean, gonna do 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 I fulfill my path, my career, and not use? It? I mean, some people, you know, like Raj Parr moves through life with everyone assuming he is one, yeah, and you know, he's he's not. You know, he, he's one of the few lucky ones that his his reputation speaks for him, and he's a for brilliant sure. sommelier and doesn't have to go get yeah. accreditation. But it is interesting what when maybe a couple hundred of you on Earth, right? There's yeah. not a lot of you when. You you do get that MS. What do you, you could kind of go through a bunch of different paths. I guess you could run a program. You could do this. What path, what, what, how did you, how are you using it right now? So I work for an importer currently who uh, brings wines into the U.S. and then partners with distributors all over the country. And I, I do sales as well as I'm director of education nationally. Oh, cool. Okay. And so that's a lot of fun because the importer broadband selections has uh, producers from all over the world. Yeah. You're talking South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, Lebanon, Argentina, uh, Great Britain with the case of the bubbles today. And so for me, that kind of plays to my sommelier heart in terms of I don't have the same bottle every day. I get to yeah. take out Vino Verde and New Zealand Sauvignon Vino Blanc. Vino Verde, and, yeah, you got me. Yeah, that. exactly. Yeah. And Chateau Neuf de Pop. And um, so I love the variety and the access to it. Uh, it varies person by person. Some... Um, stay on the restaurant floor, though that's a pretty rigorous and rough lifestyle. Um, once my wife and I uh, started to have kids, I wanted to step away from the restaurant lifestyle just because the hours are rough. Yeah. And so that's where I got into distribution and then eventually got really lucky and got the gig with an importer, which is a lot of fun. Like, for example, um, we're as a company going in next week, I'll be in Lebanon, wow. which is like, holy cow, There's I've never cool been. cool wines there, yeah. Yeah, we, we represent a wine called Chateau Moussar. Okay. Um, and then, so how, the, how does the company use your rare brain on wines to <laughs> to help what they're doing? Uh, I'll do events across the country, different cool. things, TechSom, uh, SomCon in San Diego, World of Pinot here, which is one of my favorite events. Like I said, Love I've, been, World of Pinot. I've been involved with that for years, and it's one of the ones where it's always near and dear to my heart and will come as often as they'll have me back. Yeah, me too. Um, IPNC, which is International Pinot Noir Celebration in Oregon. Oh, cool. That one fun? Uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, I've done various things on the East Coast with um, different uh, wine appreciation organizations. So the director of education piece ends up being a national thing where it's promoting the, our brands and educating on our brands. And then the sales piece is more focused to my world, which ends up being Southern California. And then um, I'm very lucky to have Nevada and Hawaii. So I have reasons to go to <laughs> Vegas and Hawaii. Good for you. Now, Ali, talk about why we have uh, Josh and Rory in, in this um, British sparkling wine. Well, you know me. You know, I'm a Bubbles girl. Oh, One yes. of my favorites. Rory is representing... Um, Southern Wine and Spirits, one of our importers, um, who one of their importers, obviously, is who Josh is with today. And I have always been a big fan of this um, portfolio that they have. Uh, Rory's a rep that I love to work with and do events with. Um, she's amazing. And so she said that Josh was in town and did we want to do something? And I was like, I know exactly what we need to do. We need to do bagels and breakfast bubbles not that these are just for breakfast but um it, it is it is you know that's one of the reasons i love bubbles because they kind of go with everything at any time of the day um but that's why we're here rory brought josh she's in town visiting they're doing some events and meeting some um some customers and cool. i like to instead of just you know sit around and taste when you are lucky enough to have somebody with josh's credentials in town to be Heck able yeah. to, to show them off and maybe reach more people than just just one little one one 
accounts. Well, I'm glad you're here. So let's talk about sparkling wine. And first of all, uh, the UK is not known really for their wine nor their culinary masterpieces. But <laughs> I, I know, I that was, know that was well done. That was that was well said. But there are some aspects of it that I really I had some history with somebody who was from England and uh, beans on toast, and of course the things that we all know, like fish and chips, wrapped up in the newspaper. But a lot of the things like shepherd's pie and beans on toast and stuff like that, we also don't think of them for wine. But there's some good fun comforting foods in those spaces uh but this wine region is somewhat is this kind of new and why mm -hmm. is this yeah. exciting well so one thing i would say is the the british may not have um developed a reputation uh for for food and wine but the london food scene is very eclectic sure. very broad very diverse and they love to consume we know that um and the bubbles also very indian there's a lot of great indian yes cuisine absolutely there. which bubbles in indian come right. on now uh -huh. let's do that Oh, don't don't uh, threaten me with a good time. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> bubbles in terms of uh, England is kind of they caught lightning in a bottle. Kind of I liken it to um, Albarino in Spain in like the late nineties, early two thousands, where all of a sudden nobody knew about it. Then it was everywhere. British bubbles is similar to that. It's made like uh, champagne, so the champagne method. It's on the south coast of England, so you're just south of London, less than an hour by train, and it's kind of the Sunbelt area. Um, and it's actually a continuation of some of the similar soils you see in Champagne. So if you think about the White Cliffs of Dover, that same belt runs across uh, the the English Channel into um, England, and you'll end up with some chalky soils in certain parts of southern England. They actually also have some soils similar to Burgundy. Um, we can talk about that more later. But they've managed to capture um, some of the finesse and brilliance that they have in Champagne that really separates Champagne from every other sparkling wine region, I feel like, on the planet. And that's what's been shocking to me is who were they talking to? Who'd they pay off? How'd they figure out some of the secrets that the French are like, no, you can't, you can't learn that. Yeah. Um, and it took actually an American couple in the 90s um, who, had, who were brash enough to be like, no, we're not going to plant all these... Um, uh, hybrids and crosses that you guys have been doing. We're going to plant champagne varieties because our French friends told us to to piss you off. And uh, lo and behold, that was Night Timber, and they kind of helped start the movement. And then Gusborn came along in 2004 um, and has helped bolster what is a very, very strong um, segment. Like British bubbles across the market as a whole is really good stuff. Um, from from entry level all the way up to the tip of the iceberg, um, and it's something that the British have adopted, and we're starting to see more and more in the U.S. And you're starting to hear more and more about it, and so it's definitely worth exploring because the quality's there. When you go back in the history of Champagne, wasn't there some sort of like cross with England, like it was first made there, then brought to Paris? Wasn't there something that had to do with England in the beginning? Of yeah, Champagne? they wouldn't. Uh, Champagne wouldn't have been able to produce bubbles were it not for English figuring out how to temper glass at a higher temperature with coal. Okay. Um, and so English glass is what um, allowed them to manage the level of pressure that comes in the bubbles. Wow. Because prior to that, my joke is that, you know the movie The Man in the Iron Mask? Yeah. Well, he was in charge of handling the champagne sellers when they had bad glass. <laughs> because you'd have, they didn't have the knowledge of chemistry that you have nowadays, and so you'd have yeast in the bottle still. In the winter, it would get cold, they would go dormant, go to sleep. In the spring, they'd wake up, you have Poor glass, somebody knocks a bottle over, all of a sudden it's 4th of July in a wine cellar yes. and you hope to make it out alive. Dang. And wow. So English glass was tempered at a higher temp, stronger. It could handle that five atmospheres of pressure. Yeah. We're going to come back. We have uh, Josh Orr, a Rory Alley here, 15C, a beautiful spread. Now, Alley, this is the kind of spread that is uh, going to be... You know, this is what you guys are yeah, going to have on your Yeah, you know, we're going to be a little bit more of a wine bar than a wine shop, like the old 15C in Templeton. Bites and Boards is really our concept, and I'm going back to my, my Spanish 
you know, youth growing up in Spain and, and the tapas and really just things that people can snack on that pair really well with wine that you can come in with one other person and share a board instead of, you know, going to a restaurant ordering, you get your dish and I get my dish. Like, yeah. I just, you know, I just love sharing things and having a variety to get to try and especially with wine. Nothing goes better than having options. Yeah. We're going to come back. We have a 15C. Uh, Joshua Rory's here. It's up in Adam in the morning. Coming up in Adam in the morning, it is the Crush 92.5. Hello to Glenn Mitten. He's from the UK. He said that he is enjoying listening to us talk about some British bubbles. Gus Bourne in the studio. We have Master Sommelier Josh Orr, Allie from 15C. We have Rory Cox here. Rory, it's good to talk to you. How have you been? Good morning, Adam. I've been wonderful. Get right into that, Mike. You've got to lean in all year. Good morning, Adam. I've been <laughs> wonderful. Thank you. Good, good, good. This is a, quite a treat to not only have these British bubbles here, Ali, but to have uh, the um, the mind of Josh Orr. <laughs> The, the palette. The, the brilliant palette, palette and, the and the mind. mind. And the giant red face now because you're, you're making me embarrassed. No, I've never heard. So, you know, like they say when you open a bottle of sparkling wine, you're supposed to like hear that nun fart. It's supposed to be like, like, <laughs> like hold on, everyone do quiet real quick. It's supposed to be like, so when he did it, it was quiet. It was like a, it was like a great horned owl flying away. It was silent. I'm like, how did you do that? I mean, that what is the secret to opening a bottle and literally hearing nothing? You, uh, they basically take us in the back and beat us with rulers yeah. <laughs> until we get it correctly. So it's a lot of a lot of trial and error, and and my hands are calloused. Do you have any uh, stories of like just something going way wrong in service? At some oh, point? absolutely, yes. So with bubbles in particular, and it actually caused for me to to go through a a deep dive down a rabbit hole in terms of what would cause this. But I had a bottle of bubbles, and. Um, was super excited about it. It was small production, fun stuff that you geek out on. And um, I went and took it to a table and was getting ready to pour, it, uh, open it for the guest, pop the cork, and it was like there's no amount of shaking that I could have done to have it explode like that. It's like I threw a Mentos in a Pepsi bottle. No way. It, and it went for like six feet, oh. and it just kept going <laughs> like all over the floor. And I was just looking at it like, what in the world happened? And I apologized. We cleaned it up. I took the bottle back to the cellar. Did someone shake it before they gave it to you or something? No, I found out it was an, it is something involved in the champagne process in terms of like cold stabilization and tartrates. Yeah. And they there was one piece of it that got missed up and it turns it into like, it, it, you could put it on the back of a skateboard and go 40 miles an hour. No it so way. much like propulsion. It was wild because I opened it. SpaceX is using them for rockets yeah, right exactly, now. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. I used it, I, I ended up opening another one in the cellar just to test and that one did the same thing. Dang. And at that point I had to pull it down and, and um, essentially send it back. But that was, it was crazy. I had never seen that kind of carbonation. Um, and so it, it led me down a rabbit hole to figure out what had caused it. And it was a fun way to educate yourself on the champagne process. Thank God you didn't try to savor that bottle. No, <laughs> good Lord, right? Yeah, you would have blown yes. up or something. That oh, seriously. So what is what is kind of some of the hacks when we're opening a sparkling table side to make sure that we get it all dialed in just so? So if you take it from room temp and chill it down really quickly, that's the way to like have your have problems where the cork's going to shoot off or um, give you give you flack with opening it. Chilling it over a long period of time helps. It for whatever reason um, allows the carbonation to integrate a little bit better as opposed to being really volatile. It won't spill out the top of it. Um, having a good grip, I always wipe the bottle down so that you actually can hold it because there's even instances where somebody ha doesn't have great hold of the bottle and they'll keep the cork in their hand and all of a sudden the bottle shoots yeah, off, sure. shoots all over. Um, and so making sure you have a good grip on the bottle itself. Um, and then I'll always hold my thumb over the top of it and then I wiggle. And you can feel when it's wiggling, the, the cork loosen. Yeah. Yep. 
and then you can manage that. As long as it's not crazy carbonated, like you chilled it down in five minutes in an ice bucket, right? you can manage that. And so you can let it out really slowly, and that's how you achieve your, your glorified nun fart. What's the um, craziest thing you've ever sabered a bottle with? A wine glass. Actually, James Bond status. You use the bottom of yeah, it and you it hit the lip. Yeah, because yeah, if you know champagne, if you know sabering, it's all about vibration and hitting it at the right point with the right speed. What do you mean vibration? That's interesting. So if you're going to saber a bottle, you got to find essentially where the glass has been fused together. Yeah. There's a seam. Yeah. And then you essentially take the, the saber and run it along that like this. And you start it like creating vibrations. And then it's all about that. Oh, so the, the, that... That it's not like little practice moves. Like you're really no, you're, you're disturbing the bubbles and creating more pressure in the neck to essentially find the weak point in the bottle where it will break the glass at the neck. Yeah, and so that's why you you go like this. And I didn't know that part. Yep. And I mean, I've always done it, but I didn't know that's why I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. And then the follow through. People <clears throat> miss the follow through. You got to You don't use uh, the the sharp side of the knife. You use the back side Correct. of it, and you really got to hit that lip, that neck. And when you create that contact and jar that, that's there's so much pressure in the bottle that that's what literally separates the glass off because that's a piece that's been fused. Mm. And so that's the key to it in terms of I'm very careful when I saber because the last thing I want is for something to blow up in my hand. I know. I've seen it happen. It's <clears throat> yeah. scary. Oh, my God. How did that happen in the French Laundry July, um, January 1st, New Year's 2020? That was probably like the reason why 2020 was such a crap year. The French yeah, well, laundry, has, French laundry. Like, has like a six liter in the back, and like all the 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 folks and I have Matthew. Oh yes, and it blew up. And, but the dude is like hacking it like uh -huh. he's like on a horror so movie. So similar similar story that I've dealt with is is when I saw the the person actually um have blow up in their hand. They took a bottle of cava. Uh, which I shouldn't have said the actual style of wine, but yeah. you want good bubbles. You want good glass. Yeah. So going and getting a bottle of Andre from the liquor store is not recommended for no. champagne. Okay. Uh, for sabering. Um, because you want high quality glass so that it'll stay together. And then, um, they had taken it and a woman was trying to do it and she hit it a couple times. And you, there's actually video and you can hear me in the background going, say, just pop the cord. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then a, a gentleman walks up and grabs it and tries to saber it. And sure enough, it's separated in his hand. Yeah. And cut his hand open. That's not good. And so if you can't get it to work, after I would be hesitant to even do two tries. Yeah, I'll always do two, but I, I don't I don't push it. Yeah, because don't. it's not worth pushing it. I've done honestly. I had more fails in trying to use the edge of the glass mm -hmm. and breaking the bottom of the glass. Yeah, but I can say I've achieved it twice, and that was enough. And then I stopped breaking glasses. Dude, when you do it, it's, <laughs> it's so very swap. And you can just pour right into the glass. Oh, and be dude, like, it's the coolest thing ever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did one. I did once. Remember that bubbly fest that they used to do down there on the beach, and then. One time, it was, um, it's not called Slow Coast Wine, but they used to do this event in the Mission Plaza called Roll of the Barrels. Yeah. And Letitia brought me a bottle of their sparkling. Oh, Eric's and, an awesome dude. Yeah, and it just did right with the stem. It was like, boom, so cool. What's your biggest pet peeve? We were talking about this with Ali and Ash a couple weeks ago. Biggest pet peeve when it comes to, like, pouring. We heard all of them. One of them was, like, uh, I think this was Ali, and, and both Ali and Ash didn't like this. When you're pouring and someone, like, lifts their glass to your bottle. Oh, yeah. That's annoying. The, the moving target. Oh, Oh, that's yeah. really hard, right? Because especially if it's with bubbles, you're trying to like manage the bubble level and, and how, how much it bubbles up. Yeah. But yes, moving the glass up and down, moving it across the table. Um, dirty glassware is always tough, especially when you're talking about bubbles. Yeah, um, I almost gave you four dirty glassware. Oh, no, these are, these are beautiful. like, oh my God, what is with these glasses? Poor girls like trying to... They just get weird. They get spots here. So thank God Epic gave us like brand new glasses. We got well, it's, new ones, it's, but. It's funny because pouring bubbles is always such an interesting experience. I was uh, when I was working in Vegas on the floor. We had this high top in our restaurant that was against the wall, and it was like ten people across. 
and we would do Prosecco by the glass out of Magnum. And I had a party of 20-odd people come in and take the whole high top, and they all wanted glasses of bubbles. And in order to get to the backside, you have to reach across people. And so I'm holding a Magnum in one hand trying to hit this little, you know, silver dollar-sized flute yeah. and trying not to shake. And the bottle has all sorts of perspiration on it. I'm like going, please don't let me <sighs> drop this on the table. I, I just know. have it explode everywhere. Um, and so that was one of the more terrifying moments. I barely made it through, but I think my forearms were sore for a week. Once you're at Master Salon, yeah, there's no way you could, like, lose it, right? Like, you don't have to get retested or they check your eye vision every... No, the joke, <laughs> the, the joke is um, once you become an MS, the only thing you have to remember is to wear your pin. Um, yeah. But, no, you'll find once um, a lot of MSs, once they pass, they go into what they're passionate about. And so we may not necessarily, the, the, the thing they talk about is that you know a lot about everything, but usually you know just enough to be dangerous about everything, and then you're really passionate about certain things. And they dive deep because you're obsessed with wine and you love it. When do you feel like you have to wear the pin? Do you, or is it sometimes like, uh, it might be a little too much, or is it like, no, obviously you earned that pin, so I'd be very proud of it. When do you feel, yeah, I'm going to wear it? No, not tonight, honey. I I'm, I'm one who's, uh, it depends on the event and, um, and the circumstances. A lot of times with consumer stuff, I'll wear it just because people ask questions and it makes for fun conversation. Sometimes with professional stuff, I won't because I don't necessarily want to be the peacock drawing attention. No, sure. I would rather have a normal conversation, have it come up naturally, organically, rather than just come up and stare at my pin while I'm yeah. talking. See, if I got MS, I'm, I'm getting a freaking Post Malone face tattoo. <laughs> I'm doing my whole right side of my face is the pin, is a red version. I mean, because I would just be so excited that I, earned that it, it is I, I think that's just a little bit of I, I don't want all the attention on me I geek out on wine and want to share that face tattoo will give you all face the face tattoo would yeah, yeah Mike Tyson S yeah <laughs> that would be that would be pretty pretty impressive we got Gus Bourne here it's a yeah. sparkling wine and uh, this is going to be something Allie that we're going to be able to have a 15C absolutely I've carried this in the past um, I've included it in our bubbles club that we are going to continue to offer our clubs um, you know we are definitely going to do the brunches on the weekends, I think our location out on Broad Street next to Black Horse Coffee and right across from the Damon Garcia Sports Complex. Moms and dads out there, you're going to need some mimosas after or before the games. And, um, you know, not just, again, that this is breakfast. Another thing that we did, we did a private little thing. Um, I'm friends with Neil that has the Morro Bay Oyster Company. And um, one of his girls, Margot, came out and shucked a bunch of oysters. So we're going to go back. I don't know if you remember this at the old 15C, but we did... Uh, bubbles flight paired with oysters. So once a month we're going to do an oyster night there, Fun. and Margot makes homemade mininés. So there's oh. a there's a basically a buffet bar of mininé, and then she's there shucking the multiple different types of oysters that they grow here locally in in the in the Morro Bay estuary. Yeah. Um, and you know, I mean, I love doing stuff like this. Whether we can get Josh to come back up or Rory and just do a Gusborne flight one month, and then you know we can also mix it up and do different champagnes from non-vintage to vintage to whatever um we're it's going to be something that we're going to i love that you do a flight with that just because i know there's not just one cookie cutter pairing depending on what you do to the oyster how clean or if you use the the mignonette or whatever and so having a flight is brilliant because it, it promotes people to understand that there's more to bubbles than just a celebratory beverage for new year and you know what she used the bubbles to make the mignonette oh it's awesome with the, which well, i think is really cool. cool so you're actually drinking it and you're eating it with the oyster. I feel like this has been a mission that Allie and a lot of folks locally, especially as, you know, um, more and more people are putting a sparkling on their, you know, portfolio. 
even if there's some that they're sending away to put bubbles in and, and get it back just for their folks. Um, but you, you, do you feel like that mission is being slowly accomplished where folks are understanding, look, we don't need to just celebrate this. It doesn't need to just be a New Year's or an anniversary beverage. You, you do see that. Um, obviously, it's, it's a little more at the forefront being here in wine country where people understand bubbles a little bit more. But it's funny, like, often we'll talk to, to people or guests or things at events where it's like, hey, you like beer, right? You like, you like beer and fried chicken. Bubbles, fried yeah. chicken. You're, you're welcome. Like, come talk to me later about that after you've experienced it. And so, I, I think it's opening eyes, getting past the the little bit of celebratory stigmatism, and we're starting to see that a little bit. Um, but it still is nice. Like, if I, if I'm on a restaurant floor, um, I'll often ask people if they want white wine glasses because I'll promote bubbles in white wine glasses. But for some people, it's the experience. They want it in a flute, and that's part of the whole thing. And who am I to tell them otherwise? You know? Yeah. And so that's always something to be aware of too. I think price point, you should also mention yeah. the price point on these because Please, compared yeah. to, you know, your traditional champagne, these represent incredible quality that is comparable, but the price point, the value for what you're getting is, is Correct, incredible. yeah. It's, it's, a, it's one that's, um, it competes with a lot of champagne and the biggest trick with British Bubbles is trying to get people to reach away from champagne because they're like, oh, I'm going to fall back on old reliable. When in reality, I try to take these out and taste people on them as often as I can just because the quality is there. And if you can get them to try it, then all of a sudden they might reach for more British Bubbles. But yes, the quality is there, the quality for value factor, which is huge um, for British Bubbles in general. Gusborn is something that um, even the royal family has caught on to. So like this was the official Bubbles of the Queen's Jubilee. Um, it was the coronation wine for the king. Wow. Um, yeah. I got to pour at the British consulate in L.A. for the Oscars party with Gus Bourne. No way. So it's something that has some serious cachet in terms of Great Britain and the royal family. We're very thankful for that. Except for when my mom reaches out and says, hey, can you get me a bottle from the king's coronation? Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> no, we don't even get that. That's just for the royal family. What do they go for a bottle? Uh, let's see. So the Blanc de Blanc would be in that uh, right under $70 a bottle. Um, the Brut Reserve, you're in the mid-50s, and the Brut Rosé, mid-60s. So they're not cheap by any means, but there is, as far as the category as a whole, you have British bubbles that range all the way up from like 30 or 40 to Gusborne just released their top-end cuvee, which is now the most expensive British bubbles on the market, north of 200 bucks a bottle, called 51 degrees uh, north, because that's their latitude. So you run the full gamut. But Gusborne would definitely be considered in the higher echelon. Are you starting to see some like grower, producer type folks? You're seeing a lot. You're seeing champagne houses starting to buy properties over there. You're seeing the British, uh, I guess, population adopt it. Um, plantings in England have gone up exponentially. Something like, I want to say the thing I read was like a million uh, hectares. Mm. So the British bubbles industry is something we're going to see a lot more of. And I love that the quality is there because it, it, it gives me uh, hope that there's going to be just more bubbles for everybody to experience what we were talking about. More bubbles are on a regular basis because bubbles with locks, bubbles with bagels, bubbles with sushi, bubbles with popcorn, yeah. like everything. And then they've laid the foundation with a good standard. So there's a, you know, there's a good standard of quality there. It also helps that they're close to London. Mm-hmm. And it's in that's that, huge. It's in that English countryside where tourism and, and wine tourism can be built in, much like here on the Central so Coast. So they are waking up. They're, they're kind of wanting to do that, bring people out there. Oh, yeah. It's, visit these places. It's much more, they're, they're, um, 
uh, uh, way ahead of like the French were. The French couldn't figure out wine tastings for a while. It's like, no, you don't have an appointment. Like, yeah. don't come in. And the English are like, no, we'll sit you down for a Michelin-starred lunch. Then we'll show you the vineyard. We'll do all the bubbles. Like, they, they've done a really great job with hospitality. Yeah, it's funny how different it is in France, huh, Ali? How it's like some places they totally get it. And I've went to some places that were just like, it's almost like here. Like, the tasting room's got merch in there. And it's like, they're, oh, and then some places are very not like that. Yeah, well, I think the culture has something to do with it, too, right? They don't work on the weekends or every other Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and occasionally <laughs> yeah. <the> third Thursday. <laughs> it's just it- like... Going, you know, trying to plan a, a, a wine tasting around your trip to Champagne or something. It's like you have to start there. Like, don't yeah. even book your plane tickets until you can confirm that you can the get place a is open. appointment. Yeah, correct. <laughs> yep. I, I lived there for a year, and it was the funniest thing. We would come back on trips on Sunday and get back afternoon. Everything was closed. Monday, everything's closed. So if you didn't plan ahead and have groceries in the fridge, you were Ooh. starving until Tuesday. Dang. <laughs> yeah. Rory, what is it about this wine and um, this brand that you like? I like that it's offering something new and different to our customers. Um, I'm able to take these things out in market and um, introduce my accounts and also, you know, the customers to something new. Yeah. How, where, how far is your territory? Where are you working? So my territory is Camarillo up to Cambria. So I've oh, that's, yeah, that's a lot going on. How often will you hit, like, Camarillo? Like, so I, will I, you be there, like, once every couple weeks? Yeah, once every couple weeks. Wow. So. Yeah, that's kind of where I... She, she, I was joking with her yesterday. I was like, oh man, I put 460 miles on my car yesterday. She's like, that's a Tuesday. Yeah, right? <laughs> for sure. Well, uh, it was so much fun to see you again, Rory. Thanks for coming in and bringing us in. Thank you for having me. Allie, we are just waiting for um, the Biden administration to give you <laughs> a go-ahead to yes, give you your licensing, yes. right? Next week, uh, I, I plan to be open officially with Fully operational beginning of October. All right. Okay, very good. Everything moves quick in the government, so you have nothing to worry yeah, about. Yeah, exactly. And until, you, until it's shut down, right? <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> but you are all ready to go. We're ready to go. We just need our liquor license um, from the ABC, and we need to place orders with all of our lovely purveyors, like Rory over here, and then... Um, once we get everything in and set up, we'll be we'll be rocking and rolling. But as soon as I get that notice on my phone that our, we've been approved, um, we will be pouring something. Cool. Definitely <laughs> serving food. Yeah, and then come in here. And then I think, you know, almost kind of like kids do lemonade stands, you should have mimosa stands outside oh, Damon Garcia. Yes. That's actually a brilliant oh, idea, sir. Parents will love you for that. <laughs> <laughs> Josh, it was really fun to meet you. Can't wait to see you. Uh, well, definitely we'll have to stop and hang out at WAPA next time around. And whenever you're in town, please come by and let's just uh, shoot the ish on the air and stuff. It was really fun to meet oh, you. Huge honor, man. Thank you very much for having me on. Up and Adam in the morning. With Adam on Weekday mornings, 6 to 10 a.m. The Crush 92.5, the perfect blend.